Podcast. The Tag Digital Podcast. Squadcast. Hello and welcome to a special roundtable edition of the Squadcast. I'm Jamie, one of the senior PPC specialists here at TAG, and this week I'm sitting down with Johnny and the rest of the paid social team to quiz them on the world of event PPC marketing across social platforms. Get ready to learn more about creative best practices, audience types, and how the paid social landscape has changed throughout COVID-19 and lockdown, plus much, much more. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. Squadcast. The TAG Digital Podcast. Listen to the Squadcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Squadcast. So before we dive into the questions, I thought it'd be good for everybody to introduce themselves briefly. So start with what your name is and then tell us what your favourite thing about working in social media is. Hi, so I'm Johnny and I am the Senior Paid Social uh, Specialist here at TAG. Uh, My favourite thing about working in paid social uh, would probably be the fact that it's always changing. So I feel like search has been through its development stage, uh, whereas paid social seems to always have new platforms um, becoming available. In the past few years, it's been TikTok. Um, so you've always got them new platforms popping up every few years. Um, and there seems to be larger changes on a more regular basis, um, which Facebook like to spring on us from kind of the top of their head. Hi, I'm Christy and I'm also a member of the paid social team. I would say my favourite thing about working in social media is almost talking to other people about it that don't really know how everything works. So I quite like explaining to friends and family how you see the sponsored ads and how they come up. I think for me beforehand, I didn't really know how you saw all the ads and how advertisers kind of promoted themselves to you. So I think for me, the biggest thing would just seeing how mesmerized people are when you kind of explain to them the Facebook pixel and all the sponsored ads that they're seeing. Hi, my name's David and I'm also a member of the paid social team here at TAG. And my favorite thing about working in social media would be the fact that it's a, it's a platform where the, the feedback is real time. So, I mean, not that we do, but if you wanted to, you could go in you know, five minutes after you were last looking at an ad account and the numbers have already updated. You might have a, hopefully a ton more conversions come through, uh, but it's just the, the real-time feedback is really, it's sort of, it's the driving factor for me behind, you know, trying to push for those results and being able to see, you know, day on day, how a campaign's performing, where can we tweak it to make it perform better? And that also then feeds into the, uh, the final reports that we produce to, you know, guide future campaigns. And yeah, like I say, the, the real-time feedback is just something that keeps me motivated uh, to keep pushing those campaigns to do better and better. Hi, so I'm Farisai and I'm also on the paid social team and the newest member at the company. So my favourite thing about working in social media is probably the fact that it's just so broad and diverse. Like there's no two days that are the same, like one day you could be working on a travel event, next day you could be working on a finance event, or you could be doing that all in the same day. So I just really like that. It's just really, really different and you open up to 
a whole different industry and campaigns. My name is Jess and I also work as part of the paid social team at Tag Digital. And um, My favourite thing about working with social media is it allows us the chance to be really creative. Um, so the first question I have um, is quite a kind of simple one, but quite quite an open one. And it's what type of creative do you see working best across Facebook? I think everyone will probably agree on this one and it's definitely videos. I think the more variety of creatives you use does help the campaigns, yes. But with regards to top performing, definitely videos is up there. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think one of the key things that we always try and get across to clients is a video that's between 15 and 30 seconds is ideal. Uh, You can run videos that are longer, but when it comes to actual watch times of the videos, I mean, you'll know yourselves if you see a a video online and you see that it's minutes long, you're much less likely to be, you know, to be likely to click on it and then become invested in it. Where if it's just a short video, you've got enough within the first sort of two or three seconds to really grab your attention. Then I feel as though, you know, that's as a client, if you're, you know, producing the videos yourself, that's what you want to be aiming for. Yeah, that's cool. I'd probably, like, I do agree. Um, videos are definitely the the most successful like asset at the moment um, but just to be a little bit different I'd also say things like speaker images um, and they can be incorporated into speaker videos as well um, but I think in, in terms of content I think things like speaker images or um, shouting out the USPs of, a, of an event like the number of attendees, if it's uh, exhibitors out or something like that, um, they can work really well. Cool. And do you think, um, like with speaker images, do you think the kind of reaction to those sort that sort of imagery at the moment is a bit different because of COVID? Or you know, are you having to be kind of careful with uh, how you put it across? Or do you need to put it across differently? If, for example, display that it's a perhaps a webinar speaker versus a like an actual physical event speaker or um has there been anything like that come up uh i don't know about the how the other guys feel about that i think with a lot of the campaigns that we've been running um as part of our squad um a lot of the speaker images and videos that get sent across are more headshots of that person um you don't i don't find that we really need to say that this speaker specifically is going to be appearing virtually because a lot of the events are virtual anyway and and it's in the name so you might have um i don't know whatever the show is called online or virtual or something like that um but i don't know if any of the other guys have had any different experiences with that yeah, Johnny, I've kind of seen the same sort of results as you. So um, I've run a few speaker ads recently and they've worked really well for encouraging users to sign up. Um, I've run it on like two separate campaigns for two different industries um, and the ads performed um, the best for both of those campaigns at generating conversions at a low CPA. So one example that I have generated 49% of the overall conversions, which was really good to see. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really good results, Jess. Um the next question I have um, is quite an interesting one, and it's how does your LinkedIn strategy differ for your Facebook strategy, or is there any difference at all? 
I would probably say in terms of LinkedIn's strategy being different to Facebook, I would say with LinkedIn, it's definitely ideal when you're targeting very specific audiences. Like I find LinkedIn really good when I'm targeting like job titles or, you know, job functions, that kind of thing. Whereas on Facebook, I definitely find it's better for maybe growing audiences if I'm going off things like lookalike audiences or interests. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I guess one of the, the main questions that we're always asked is, you know, sometimes we suggest not to target people on LinkedIn um, and it's purely down to budget. So um, I don't know if any of you can explain exactly why we would always suggest that you only target LinkedIn if you have a kind of slightly bigger budget assigned to your campaign. I think the main thing with LinkedIn is that you're paying for the audience. So when you're on LinkedIn, you're looking for a certain type of person whereas on Facebook you've got a lot of a more of a broader um, target audience so on LinkedIn you can target job seniorities you can target you can company size company industry job functions so the list for LinkedIn possibilities is kind of endless Um, and I was listening to a podcast the other day about LinkedIn and the guy said that you are paying for this top level audience and people on LinkedIn are there for a reason. So they're there to look for jobs. They're there to look for um, events, all that kind of stuff. So th- there's more intent there. Um, and you're essentially just paying for that bigger audience. Does that make sense? Or have I just kind of went off on a tangent? No, that that, def- that definitely makes sense. I think um, for me personally, like I now use LinkedIn as kind of my main go-to social media for like news and stuff like that. I think I just trust it more and like, the sort of things that I'm kind of looking for now or like the sources I'm looking for information for, I would always go to LinkedIn for more of that kind of content. Whereas I would probably turn more to, you know, likes of Facebook and Instagram for just that friendly kind of, I want to see pictures of my friends and stuff on there as as opposed to, I don't, I just don't necessarily trust the, uh, the news that comes from it. And I think, if you're trying to target a certain individual, like you say on LinkedIn, that I think, I think that's why they charge such a premium because you will get the kind of audience that you pay for from that platform, I believe. Yeah, and you also need to be careful that your leads are qualified. So sometimes you can be running a campaign that's received twenty conversions, yet only five people out of those twenty are actually worthy of attending your event, or they're more qualified than somebody else. So I think as well sometimes clients look at that and you think well why are we still running it because we're not actually receiving the right amount of conversions in relation to quality um but that's just something that I think with practice and the more you work with a client the more you can define the audience and really refine it to reflect proper results yeah yeah absolutely um I just think as well because it is more expensive as Kirsty said um one way it differs from Facebook is we run fewer campaigns. So I know a lot of the time, um, especially if we've only got um, kind of less than one and a half thousand pounds, say it's, that's just putting kind of an arbitrary number on it. Um, but we definitely run less campaigns. So you may just run one campaign um, if you've got that kind of budget. And then you also run less ads as well. Um, so I think best practice for LinkedIn is to run four ads per campaign, as I discovered 
last last week when I, I'd been uh, been told something different, and then uh, I turned out I was wrong. So that does happen. Um, but also, we because you've kind of got more expense. It's more expensive for for clicks. Um, inevitably, your CPA is going to be higher. But to try and combat that we need to try and run LinkedIn campaigns for a shorter period of time um, just to give them a, a larger daily budget. And it means that you can try and give the campaigns the best chance to do as much kind of learning as possible. Um, so whereas you might need a budget that's a third of that on uh, Facebook to go through the learning period, um, if you run the campaign for a shorter period of time on LinkedIn, you should get enough data to go through that learning period um, kind of at the same rate as other channels. I know one of the things for me, Johnny, just when you're talking about ads, on LinkedIn, I know I've, I've had a, a few conversations with clients recently about, so when you think about the actual setup of a Facebook campaign, you can have images and video in the same ad set. Whereas on LinkedIn, they require you to split them out. So essentially, if you want to target people with images and with video, it requires two different campaigns. Whereas on Facebook, you could put them into the one campaign. So when it comes to the, the budget side of that, if you do want to run images and video, you're essentially doubling the amount of campaigns that you're running and half in the amount of budget that you would be able to run across those campaigns. And I know that's one of the things that really frustrates me about LinkedIn as an advertising platform is just that it would be great if we could, you know, include videos and images in the same campaign so that we don't have to, you know, split everything out like that. But LinkedIn would then argue that having those separated makes the user convert more. So that your percentage will increase because the user is seeing your ads more frequently. So they use that in their argument that you should have an engagement campaign run into the same audience, a video campaign run into the same audience, sponsored content images run into the same audience, and all of those combined will then result in a conversion. And obviously that is, that's what makes a platform also more expensive is that they're pushing you to have multiple different campaign types running at the same time to the same audience. Yeah, I totally agree. I think uh, when it comes to uh, you know from a client's perspective, I think it's uh, I think it's always important for us just to you know highlight the fact that because you know clients love videos, they love images, they want to run everything that they can possibly. So uh, I know just recently I've had to go back to a client a couple of times and just say, look, if you want to add this in, because the videos come later in the campaign, for example, uh, and it's just been explaining that process that compared to Facebook. This is how the setup differs on LinkedIn. Uh, so I think that does then obviously sort of trickle down into how we as a social team have to create that strategy at the beginning of the campaign. Yeah, I think it's important to note as well that um, it's kind of one of LinkedIn's biggest mistakes to underfund your campaign. Um, with LinkedIn, it requires a um, daily budget of 10 um pounds, euros, or whatever um, currency you're using, but um, it, under kind of using that as your minimum doesn't often see like optimal results. Um, LinkedIn, like Johnny said, kind of requires you to kind of increase, have a larger budget um, and because you'll be able to see more of your results 
and it's important just not to spread the campaign too thin um because you'll experience better results and beat competitors in an auction and improve your rel your content relevancy score and once you get a high content relevancy score and um, the your bid starts lower lowering and you can win over some of your competitors yeah that's that's really interesting so it sounds like facebook is a wee bit further ahead in terms of advancements but um linkedin is still quite a powerful platform you just perhaps need to use it um in a more short-term tactic versus kind of you could probably have facebook on for the length that you have a google campaign running but I think Johnny and I have had a lot of success from just running sort of short bursts of LinkedIn uh, activity, just maybe running for like the last, you know, three to four weeks of the campaign versus, you know, for the for the full 12 weeks. Just that does give you that kind of um, larger daily budget, but also, um, yeah, like you say, you're not spreading yourself too thin. You can experiment with all those different kind of uh, video formats and image formats without having to worry about you know where you're spending the money um so my next question um kind of goes back to what we were talking about um within the first question and it's what key trends have you noticed since most events have switched to virtual or is there anything in particular that you've noticed throughout covid um so i think in terms of where the campaigns are different from virtual to in-person events. Um, and I don't know if this is campaign specific or because that switch has happened, but or just because the, the Facebook auction is a strange place at the moment. But I think campaigns seem to be a lot more inconsistent performance-wise. Um, so we're seeing some weeks we might get 50 conversions or however many that is uh, like a high number of conversions and then the next week you might get four or five conversions and then the next week it'll be back up to 40 50 again um so that's i think one of the key things i've noticed is just the inconsistency of how campaigns are performing um and then we need to obviously try and combat that with um refreshing campaigns and things like that i don't know if anyone else has spotted that inconsistency yeah definitely even across different campaigns like i'm still i'm running two campaigns that are both virtual and they're both targeting similar areas but one's doing absolutely amazing and one's just really struggling to convert and it it's nothing that i can see on my side that i've done differently from the one that's doing really well i think it's just circumstance and I don't think there's anything that we can really do in this case to change that at the moment. One of the things that I've noticed is when it comes to the actual messaging of the ads that can be you know the the key player like one of the one of the campaigns uh, that finished for me I think it was a couple of weeks ago the image creative was actually a, a woman delivering a seminar uh, you know, as if it was just a, a normal event in person. But the, the actual banner text on it said, from the comfort and safety of your own home. And that image, although it was a sort of, you know, juxtaposition of the woman in the, the seminar room, but with that, from the safety of your own home, that image completely outperformed any other creative that was available uh, for that particular campaign. So 
I think that's one of the things that I've really noticed has been, uh, you know, when it comes to the messaging in my campaigns, that's where I've really noticed the difference. I think also what you said about the banner images, I've found those work really well for virtual campaigns at the moment. I think because you're not seeing large crowds of people and you're not seeing people in person, the banners are kind of giving it more of a virtual feel and that kind of creates the safer environment for them, which makes them more inclined to convert, I guess. Yeah, we're seeing quite similar results across like Google as well. Um, definitely from the kind of inconsistency thing that Johnny was talking about. I, I know a lot during the start of COVID uh, or, or lockdown, I should say, we actually had a lot of success with our virtual event campaigns. We had large volume of conversions coming in on multiple occasions. But now, I don't know if it's because the you know the, the marketplace is a lot busier or you know, the demand is just lower or people are, you know, just getting a bit slightly fed up. But, um, you know, sometimes we're getting really, really strong results um, and sometimes we're seeing a few kind of inconsistencies. And a part of it, I actually thought we thought was maybe down to, this has just been over the last couple of weeks, the kind of the US election and things like that. I don't know if you've noticed a dip over the last couple of weeks, especially in the US, um, where perhaps the marketplace is slightly more crowded with, um, alternative kind of ads and things like that that wouldn't necessarily be there if the US election wasn't on. I don't know if, if you'd notice anything like that across Facebook because it's certainly something that I have kind of got a theory about across Google and I've kind of been discussing with Johnny in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I know certainly for the, the campaigns that I've been running, the just the competition to have your ad shown in America uh, has been really high, which has obviously pushed the you know the, the the cost per impression and the cost per clicks up. So you are uh, in the past couple of weeks and probably you know just in the the tail end of the election in the past week, um, you are having to pay a bit more, not even to you know receive a conversion from America, but just for your ad to actually be shown in that really competitive uh, social marketplace at the moment. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how things kind of change within the next couple of weeks. I, I've already noticed a significant increase in conversions for campaigns that I thought just weren't performing well, even though I tried everything under the sun um, and, you know, they were just getting kind of pushed under the rug by, you know, other messaging um, that perhaps wasn't even as relevant. Um, and I've already noticed a significant increase in performance uh, within the, the last kind of couple of days or so, just as the the auction itself, um, probably across Facebook as well, just becomes a lot quieter. So it's really interesting to kind of see that it has been the exact sort of same thing across social. Squadcast. The latest event, PTC news and trends. Listen to Squadcast at tagdigital.co.uk. Um, so my next question um, is based on kind of how you would expand a campaign and I'm just curious to see what the best way to expand a campaign would be in your opinion. So would it be looking at kind of broad interests and trying to increase the interests that you're targeting or would it be to kind of introduce a kind of higher percentage lookalike audience, perhaps move from like 1% to 2 to 3%? I've seen some really good um, results from lookalike audiences. So I always start with a 1% lookalike audiences which are those who closely match the source. 
Um, and then I look at the opportunity to scale it up. So for one of my most recent campaigns, I've seen great performance from the 4% lookalikes. Um, for a VizPom campaign, 37% of the conversions came from this audience. And interestingly, it outperformed 2% and 3%, which again are closer to the source. So it is great to see that when we're scaling up, we are seeing good results. Just adding on to what Jess has said, yeah, that 4% lookalikes, I've tried it out after Jess had mentioned it as well. And it really has been performing well for me as well. I was quite surprised at the results because I've never done any 4% lookalikes. I usually just stick to the 1% and then add the interest ones. So yeah, it was quite good seeing that the 4% did seem to perform, to outperform the other, the interest. Uh, for the 4% lookalikes or the, the higher percentage lookalikes, have you found that it's country specific where they work best? Like if you're running a 4% lookalike in the US compared to 4% lookalike in the UK, obviously that's like quite a big difference in terms of numbers of people. Like where were your guys 4% lookalikes running? My 4% lookalikes were targeting the UK um, and for the campaign specifically I was running, we were only targeting the UK. So that's why I saw there was an opportunity to scale up. For mine, um, I just did the same as the 1%. So I think it was a bit of Europe and the US. So pretty much kept the countries the same, but just increased it to 4% where I saw like the better performance. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think I I've not had the opportunity to try the four percent lookalikes yet, um, just because I haven't really needed to expand any campaigns to that kind of scale. Um, I I think last year I would have said lookalikes as well in terms of where I'd go, where I'm seeing the better results when trying to expand a campaign. But at the moment, I've actually been having a lot of luck with like broad interest audience. Um, so that would, I mean, it's probably going to be the same sized audience as a three or four percent lookalike. Um, but yeah, they've been working really well for me. I don't know what has changed because I'd say twelve months ago, interest audience just kind of fell off, fell off a cliff. Probably not as much as job titles because I, I haven't had much luck with them for a while now on Facebook. Um, but yeah, broad interests are working really well for me at the moment. Yes, that's really interesting. I know the, the lookalike function on Facebook is something that I've been jealous of for quite some time now, just from a kind of Google perspective. It, we didn't really have anything like that, and I knew how valuable it was and how powerful it was. Um, we now do have something similar to it, called Similar Audiences, but I don't think it's quite there yet but it's quite exciting to see that they're moving in that direction as well because obviously it's it's we're seeing some great results from it um the next question i had really is kind of sticking to that kind of lookalike theme and it's lookalikes or remarketing what do you prefer and what works best at the moment and then i kind of have a kind of additional question is it's do you think data lists perform better on average versus pixel-based remarketing or vice versa so that could be for lookalikes and remarketing, because I know that you can use data lists and pixels for, for both of those. Personally, for me, I would say I definitely prefer remarketing um, audiences. I find that they work the best for the campaigns that I've run. They've worked best and they've definitely generated 
the most conversions also at the lowest CPAs. Um, but then in terms of like, in, even in terms of engagement, actually, I would say remarketing audience, they've been the ones that have worked best. I would agree with what Farah is saying, but also I think sometimes if the remarketing audience is particularly small, which so I have a few campaigns right now and the remarketing audiences are really small and they're really struggling. So I'm relying more heavily on my middle of the funnel lookalike audiences um, just because you do it helps broaden the scope a lot more. Um, but yeah, usually nine times out of ten, remarketing is a solid performer. Um, but you just have to make sure you keep an eye on the size of it. Always sort of two things that you've got to, you know, take into consideration would be one, the size of it, and two, the actual quality of the the leads, so to speak, that are in the data list. Because, I mean, you guys will all know that some of the data lists we get in are maybe a bit colder in terms of the actual audience uh, compared to some other ones. You know, maybe it's been a register your interest, which is a bit colder than people who actually attended a show last year, for example. So when it actually comes to the the data list themselves, there can be a bit of uh, you know a bit of fluctuation in how those perform versus the you know website remarketing, for example. Um, because I would argue that a, a data list of people who attended the show last year would probably be more valuable than just a general website remarketing audience. So I think you know these are sort of uh, all the factors that you've got to take into consideration. And as we know as a team the best way that we can actually get to the, you know, get to the bottom of where is our best source going to come from is run them, test them, and then start to optimize the campaigns just based on the, the results that you're starting to see. Yeah, that's really cool. And kind of leads me really nicely into the next question I uh, wanted to ask. There's a kind of theme here, um, and it's what data lists do you think would work best for a Visprom campaign or just in general, what data lists do you think actually work best? I know you kind of uh, touched on that slightly there, so I just wanted to see if you could maybe expand or if anybody else wants to expand, that's great. I've seen some really good results for Vizpom campaigns on engaged or loyal data. And like um, David said, um, those who have registered for from previous years, they're usually quite qualified leads. Um, and if they enjoyed the event, they're likely to sign up again. So I've seen some really good results and had... Um, high percentage of conversions from those audiences. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have had uh, had this issue cropping up now and again, but I know there's been a few a few data lists that I've maybe had in the past, and you wait and see if they actually serve. For example, and there's maybe you know a very small percentage of the data list actually being served to, and then when I've went into the data list, it's become apparent that the the likely reason for that is that people have actually signed up with their work email address which you know you're, you're very unlikely to set up a Facebook account and use your work email address it's more more likely than not that you're going to use your personal account so I just in the past sort of month or two it's something that I've noticed uh, quite a few times I didn't know if any of you guys had noticed that especially for a Visprom campaign yeah I mean I've definitely noticed that um, but also it tends to be the more like if somebody signed up for a newsletter and that's what the data lists from, I think they tend to be more work-related emails. Um, but when I've looked at ones of like past attendees, for example, 
if somebody's having a ticket sent to them, I think they're more likely to put in their um, kind of personal email address than their work email address. But that might just be like specific to some campaigns that I've I've run. It's definitely been an issue for me before. Like the majority have been work emails, and you end up like if you put it into LinkedIn and you it comes up with like a ten percent match rate or something. Um, but yeah, I think that's why, especially if a lot of the, especially if the event that we're running is um, very like work related or related to an industry or quite niche, it's better to try and have a larger data list just to try and combat the the work email situation. Yeah, that that's an issue that. I mean, the main reason I wanted to ask this question was basically because I'm quite fascinated by data lists and data lists across Google is still fairly a new new concept with like customer match and things like that. And that is really the main problem that we have in general is um, either the match rate is really low, um, most, mostly because people do sign up or the data lists that we're provided are work emails. And I mean, myself included, I don't really have or I very rarely use my Gmail um, work account. I will use my per- I will also always use my personal one, um, and it's hard to match with personal Gmail accounts when all you're given is work emails. So um, it's kind of interesting to see that you've have quite a, a similar problem. But um, it's also here good to hear kind of which ones work best, um, like especially the loyal data and things like that. That's um, really interesting. Um, my last question really is um, quite an open one and it's what direction do you see the social platforms moving towards over the next few years we won't don't worry (laughs) (laughs) I think in terms of um, campaign managers LinkedIn have been talking about upgrading theirs because at the moment it's not the simplest platform to use Um, but We've been told that it is going in the right direction, which would make our lives a bit easier. I think as well, even just in terms of reporting for LinkedIn, I think if hopefully once they get that kind of new system in place, it'll definitely help us reporting-wise, which will in turn help our campaigns, hopefully. Yeah, I've definitely seen with LinkedIn, like when I first started to tag two years ago, two and a half years ago, campaign manager was completely different then. and believe it or not, it was actually worse than what it is now, um, which is kind of impossible, but they managed it. Um, but I think since they were taken over by Microsoft, they've had a lot of investment in that area. So hopefully campaign managers should um, should improve. Do you think that we're going to maybe see a kind of emergence of any new social platforms into like particularly the events PPC like marketplace i know that um you know david for example i know you've done a lot of research on like tiktok and snapchat and things like that do you think that in the next couple of years or so that we'll start seeing these kind of being used more effectively yeah i mean it all comes down to the demographics so snapchat and tiktok definitely have a much younger demographic than something like you know linkedin or facebook so uh it's not you know out with the realms of possibility that they could then become used for event marketing. I guess it would depend what type of event 
you know, so if it was a professional sort of, say, for example, finance related event, when you actually look at the demographic of the two platforms, I don't know if it would be, you know, not unsuitable, but I just feel as though focusing your efforts elsewhere would probably be, you know, a lot better. Whereas something like there was a campaign we ran for a gaming conference, you know, something like that would probably work really well because uh, I would I would argue that that demographic is much more likely to be engaged on those platforms, um, not even instead of Facebook and LinkedIn, but as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. Um, so, yeah, I think in the in the sort of years to come, I, I, I genuinely do think that they will become more relevant to event marketing. Uh, but again, it's just making sure, and, you know, part of our job is uh, is exactly that to make sure that you know match the event, match the demographic to the actual sources that you're using to advertise to these people. Yeah, no, definitely. And I guess I have another question based off the back of that. It's kind of one of the platforms that we that has been around for a while, but we don't really ever tend to suggest using it, and that's Twitter. Um, do you guys think that we will? F- not find a use for it because there obviously is a use for it but i know we don't seem to get very good results from that as within the events industry is do you think that there's something that they could do or that we could do to kind of start using twitter within our kind of marketing mix i think the way that twitter is kind of the way that people use twitter means that it's not the best for trying to get conversions um just because it's, it acts as a great awareness platform. If you're running an awareness campaign and you you don't have an objective to try and sell tickets or to get exhibited um, inquiries and things like that, I think it's really it's it's fine for awareness. It's just when you're trying to optimize for a conversion that that isn't the reason that people go on Twitter. That people are going on Twitter to find out the latest news on whatever topics that they're interested in um they're not necessarily going on there and looking to try and buy something or or to engage with anything in particular apart from occasionally mindless arguments (laughs) but not necessarily uh to try and register for an event yeah no absolutely um awesome so i think that's uh that's the end of my questions um don't know if any of you have anything you want to add um feel free to add anything but if not then thanks very much for your time and yeah hopefully get you guys back on the podcast very soon jamie and johnny's squadcast extravaganza Thanks again for tuning in to this special roundtable edition of the Squadcast. If you're looking for more events PPC Insight, then check out our other episodes, which are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and of course the Tag Digital website. You can also find some great blogs by some of the team there too, so be sure to check them out. If you have any questions about anything that myself or Johnny have discussed during this episode, or if you have any other inquiries, then feel free to drop us an email on either johnny at tagdigital.co.uk or jamie at tagdigital.co.uk or alternatively, just get in touch via our website at tagdigital.co.uk. The Squadcast. 
your go-to podcast for the latest event PPC news and trends. Squadcast by Tag Digital.